Hello and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. And I'm Nat Mose. Today, we're talking about degenerate combos that don't want lands, and then... Seafood of the Northeast! Wow, it's quite a lead-up to seafood. Cool. We are here because the uh, Zendikar Rising came out and introduced MDFCs, uh, which are modal double face cards. And one of the groups, well, actually several of the groups of these cards are uh, spells on one side, lands on the other, and they count as spells in your deck. And uh, that is, I feel, a um, watershed moment for decks like Belcher and Oops All Spells, where you, you don't want to hit lands ever. So we brought on uh, uh, vintage and legacy content creator, writer, uh, player extraordinaire, Joe Dyer, uh, to help us talk about it. How are you doing tonight, guys? Oh, we're good. good. Doing very well. I, w- I was really excited to see where all of those adjectives were going to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of them. So Yeah, no, this, is, this is good. I've been, been looking forward to having you on the show. So. Good, good, good. Yeah, so uh, like I said, I think I think these lands are kind of a watershed moment for these types of decks. I mean, obviously, I have a sort of connection to Belcher in that I like playing it and played it for a long time and did a lot of work on it in the early days. Um, and I, I was looking back, and you know, the, the development of the deck was really fostered by the appearance of three cards in the what two thousand six ish age, which was a uh, Empty the Warrens, Simeon Spirit Guide, and uh, Rite of Flame from Time Spiral Block and Cold Snap. And like those just, they, they simplified the mana base. You could go completely red-green, and after a while you didn't need lands, uh, at least in Vintage. And it, they just made a huge difference in the consistency of the deck, which used to run things like Chromatic Sphere and uh, Mana Silex. <laughs> <laughs> that was wow. a trip. Yeah, but um, so anyway, I don't that, even know what Mana Silex does. What is it changes? That? It changes the color. You pay one, yeah. and it gives you a different color. It, it's bad astrolabe. Oh. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, okay. So it, real uh, bad astrolabe because yeah. it doesn't draw you a card either. Right. <laughs> um, so these were, I mean, like I said, the, the, those three cards came out. They changed the deck fundamentally. And uh, we went from there. So I, I think these lands end up doing kind of the same thing, where lands are, I think, just the best mana producers, right? <laughs> like they're they're very consistent, they're uncounterable, they're free. Like if you can run lands, you should. And you know, I, I'm just the idiot over here not running lands because the 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 function of my deck requires it. But I think most people in Magic agree that lands are pretty good. Lands are great. Except maybe the these combo decks and mana-less dredge players. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, they would probably say the lands are good. They just, until, until now, can't yeah. get them. Right. right. But Joe, I know you've been uh, playing around with uh, Oops All Spells, at least in Legacy. Have you? Uh, what, what's your experience with these lands? What do you think? Do you want to explain how they work and some of the rules around them and why they work in this sense? Yeah, uh, I could I could do that. Um, so, uh, like Nat said, like these are these are cards that are you know spells on one side and they're lands on the other side. And of course, you know when they're in your hand, you get a chance you could choose which side you want to play. 
Uh, you can either play it as a land or you can play the spell. But when it's in your deck or literally any other zone, except for in play as a land, it's the front. It only looks at the front face. The game only sees that front face. Right. So the game always sees the front, which is in this case a spell. So yeah, I've been I've been playing uh, around with Oops All Spells, kind of updated uh, with these cards. Primarily, the ones that are they're running now are uh, the the black and green mythic spells which are part of a cycle that on the back face for the land, it comes into play untapped if you pay three life. Yeah, they've been calling uh, those the bolt lands. Yeah, the bolt lands. Because they bolt you. Yeah, and that's uh, Agadim's Awakening and Turn Timber Symbiosis. And what I found so far is that, yeah, it's 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 insane. It, it really greatly increases the consistency of the deck. Yeah. Being able to just have a, a turn one untapped black source right. is just amazing. Um, yeah. I got the list uh, from a buddy of mine who's an Italian by the name of Jax. Uh, he's uh, on Twitter at Jax underscore MTG. And he shipped his list that he's been playing and he's been playing some a lot of leagues with the deck. And so I was asking him about, you know, well, hey, you know, what's what's your win rate look like? You know, what's, you know, that sort of thing. What are you, what are you, how are you doing with this deck? Because he's been playing it a lot more than I have. And he said so far, he's sitting at about a 58% win rate versus blue nice. uh, and about a 70% win rate versus non-blue. Yeah. And he said so far in about 15 leagues, he's never done anything worse than a three, two. Nice. <laughs> so it's it's insane to see how good this deck is and that's kind of been my experience playing the deck so far with yeah. uh in just even just playing in the practice rooms lots of turn one turn twos so that deck uh is it playing eight is it playing the uh for the black and for the green yep okay yeah yeah and that's mainly because uh it, the sideboard you, obviously you're playing dark ritual you're playing cabal ritual yeah uh, you're playing cabal therapies but also like Turn Timber Symbiosis can also cast cards like Wild Cantor. That's playing one Wild yeah. Cantor, but also like mainly for sideboard spells mm-hmm. uh, because the sideboard spells are like cards like Nature's Claim and Force of Vigor. And right. so Turn Timber Symbiosis or on the back, I think it's Turn Timber Serpentine. Turn Timber Serpentine Wood. Wood. Yeah. And so you play that and suddenly you have an untapped green source that can cast Nature's Claim. Yeah. And you don't have to spend like a Lotus Petal or another piece of Fast Mana on your Nature's Claim. Yeah, uh, which so, is really, really strong, actually. Right. So uh, coincidentally, when I first met Joe, I was playing Oops All Spells in a Legacy event. In yes. Columbus. <laughs> um, it's unrelated to all of this, but it's just kind of a weird, like I said, coincidence. And from playing that, like the, the big thing was trying to get to that first black mana so that you could play. Well, the, the goal of the deck uh, is to play either uh, Undercity Informer or Balustrade Spy, both of which are black spells. Yes. And like the best way you have uh, to get to that is to play Dark Ritual or Cabal Ritual. Yeah. And like getting that first black mana is like one of the hardest parts of the deck because yeah. a lot of times you're, you have green mana and you need to turn it into black. So a lot of times you're playing... Was it Pact of uh, Summoner's Pact? Summoner's Pact, yeah. To go get uh, the Wild, Wild Cantor and turn it into a black yep. or uh, something along those lines. Or you have Chrome Mox and you need a, a black card to imprint. But yeah. you know, if your only black card to imprint is your Dark Ritual, like what do you do then? Right. And so being able to have a consistent source of turn one, in this case, uncounterable black mana, is, is just huge for the deck like that 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 increases consistency uh, a lot yeah and also another fun and interesting thing the list that he gave me 
he has been playing around with a card that I actually played around a lot with during the Garuda era of mm-hmm. Legacy, and that's a Leyline of Life Force. Oh, sure. Uh, and it's the uh, ley line that when it, it it just says creature spells can't be countered. Right. And what's really great about that is like you have an untapped black source. If you just have like triple spirit guides in your hand. Yeah. Uh, and then you go on turn one untapped black source, triple spirit guide, cast spell straight spy, and they can't counter it. Right. You're just presenting them no cards that like force of will, force of will or force of negation can touch. That's right. fancy. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's real sort of like you can even just be like, I have a wild cantor. And, you know, I have a turn timber, sim, you know, symbiote serpentine wood, and I have wild cantor and I can turn my wild cantor and some spirit guides into a undercity informer or balustrade spy. Woo. You still can't counter any of these things. Yeah. So yeah, that part's really dumb. So I, I played a lot of the Garuda combo deck during that period of time before the deck completely died in legacy because of the companion rule change yeah. and uh it feels this deck feels very similar to that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in regards to its game one win ability but also like its post board where your post board is a lot better now nice so his sideboard is now three nature's claim four force of vigor four ley line of life force and four chancellor of the annex yeah and so like chancellor is really good if like say you're on the draw or not on the draw if you're on the play in like a post board game you bring in chancellor against the the decks that might be running uh surgical extraction right and hope to have like a turn zero chancellor effect against them yeah chancellor makes their first spell cost one more yes yeah as a a free effect from your hand yeah and then it can be imprinted on chrome mox or whatever yes (laughs) so yeah you just hope to have that and then just like just turn one them (laughs) yeah right you know but obviously the deck still mulligans you know, yeah. really heavily. And I think that's like the biggest thing. I think this thing, I think what it, really helped. It really heavily before. Do you find that it is more consistent post this change? Yeah. Yeah. It's also, also, I think it also has a lot to do with the London Mulligan rule. Yeah. Uh, I think that also changed oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. things quite a bit. Right. Being able to shape your Mulligans really, really helps these kinds of decks. Yeah. I was, so, I was leaning pretty hard on that when I was playing it. I mean, yeah. Like, just, you, you just take advantage of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a deck that's looking for exactly XX and X. Right. You know, and that's, it's the same thing as, again, it's the same thing as Gerudo was with that way that deck worked. You could mulligan to two, you know, and <laughs> as long as those two cards were double Lion's Eye Diamond, you, you right. were winning the game. <laughs> right. So, because <laughs> that meant like everything else was in your deck when you were started milling yourself. And yeah, that's pretty good. So, well, let's, uh, let's, let's actually go through the combo too. Cause I mean, the important thing is that these are spells and not lands right. in your right. deck. So when you play uh, Balustrade Spy or play and activate uh, Under City Informer, you start revealing cards from the top of your deck until you hit a land. And since these are not lands in your deck, they don't register. Yep. So you end up milling your, yourself. Yep. And then uh, you you get some number of Narcomibas. Narcomiba triggers, yeah. And yep. have a couple of, um, do you have a uh, bridge from below? Or are you just uh, at Narcomibas? least one, one bridge from below. Okay. Yeah, one bridge from below. That's all, really all you need. Yeah. Uh, because uh, basically what you're going to do, if they let, if they're at the point where, you know, Balustrade Spire Undercity Informer has resolved and is activated for Undercity Informer and they have counter magic, you, they are not winning. Right. Because you will have the ability to replace a creature. In the case of yeah. Balustrade Spy, it's even better because it sticks around. It sticks. Yeah. So you can just, it's just a free therapy. Yeah. But you can just therapy them, you know, for a counter magic if they have counter magic. 
Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, your win condition there is you're just going to dread return Thassa's Oracle. Yeah, Thassa's Oracle sees that you don't have a library and you win the game. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's the number one card from 2020 that has affected these kinds of, I want right. to cast cards and make sure that I have nothing in my library left when it this thing comes down because of the way it's worded too. And that's just what really makes it so wild is that the way Thassa's Oracle is worded is that it, it looks at the devotion that you have. And if it's equal or two or greater than the number of cards yeah. in your library, then you win the game. And the biggest thing about that is like, if you kill it in response to the trigger, you still win because the devotion zero and you still have right. zero cards. So yeah. that's simplified so many of these decks. Oh yeah. Uh, like doomsday and that sort of thing. It's simplified all those decks that want to have that kind of effect to win the game. Right. So yeah, I was, I was winning with lot giant when I was mm. playing it and that was nice because, uh, it was just, just the one reanimation and it killed my opponent immediately. Right. Which, and and Thassa's yeah. Oracle does the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same you, don't thing, have, yeah. you don't have the additional deck building requirement. Right. Well, and also like Thassa's Oracle can't be like veil of summered. Right. Yeah, and that's that's the awkward part about like a card like Lot Left Giant is they could theoretically veil a summer it and then Wait, what does Lot Left Giant do? So Lot Left Giant makes a an opponent lose life. I think it's I think it's lose life or deals damage to them based on the number of creature cards in your graveyard. Yeah. Which by that point Oh okay. You have yep. Like a million, you know, you have your, your whole deck in the graveyard, so right. Yeah, it's, it, it deals damage. So it deals damage to target opponent yeah. for each creature card in your graveyard. So the biggest bad thing about that is that Veil of Summer exists. Yeah, you can play yeah. Veil of Summer and not be targeted. So. Right. <laughs> and so that just, you just like, oh, well, I guess I lose. <laughs> it is a fun and exciting way to win. Um, it's always kind of fun to play fast combo in events because there are, no matter how many times you play, you still come upon someone who has never seen them before. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I've never seen this before. I'm dead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. they, they, I'm dead. Yeah. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That happens a lot. Yeah. I think uh, what I think is cool about these things too, is that it, it actually enables this shell to exist in other formats too, mm-hmm. not just legacy. Uh, and obviously not just vintage. Yeah. Uh, like I, I was, yeah, there, there, there was already a, uh, an oops, all spells list in vintage as well. Uh, yeah. and, or, uh, Menendian wrote pretty extensively on it when the balustrades by an under city informer came out. Right. In the second Ravnica series. Yeah. Um, it, like it was, it, it also was a fast and fun deck. Like you could potentially slot these cards into a build similar to that. Right. Know, update the win condition and come out doing the same thing so right what i found was really interesting is that this exists in pioneer <laughs> yeah that's uh, awesome and uh the, but the win condition is a little bit more convoluted because there's no dread return in that oh, format sure uh, so you either have to have claim to fame in hand which is the uh it returns a creature from your graveyard to play with cmc2 or less uh okay. so you can do that to get back to the thoughts oracle win on the spot or it plays like all the like mill cards, like the Narc Amoebas and your like prized amalgam, prized amalgam right. and uh silver smoke ghoul. Cause you're playing like uh creeping chill. Nice. Uh, so you're going to trigger all the silver smoke ghouls. And then it plays like a pair of world spine worms. So when you mill yourself, they just get shuffled back into your library. Right. And you get to pass the turn with a whole bunch of power in play and right. having dealt them 12 damn 12 life off of creeping chill. Nice. So I was like, Oh, this looks cool. I would play this. It seems like a lot of fun. 
yeah it's it's, so. it's funny how the uh how smaller formats end up having to adjust for these things where it's like they can do them but it's like uh awkward <laughs> like, right yeah it's definitely a lot slower right, right yeah yeah it's definitely a lot slower and obviously there's better graveyard hate there like you know there's rest peace and you know, those things can probably be played before. And a lot of times it's the popularity of the graveyard hate because more people are doing graveyard based right. things and the graveyard right. hate is just more effective than what they're trying to do because it's a younger format, smaller format. Right. And and then of course now we're, so we're also now seeing like the blue one, uh, the blue mythic bolt land uh, Seagate reborn uh, seeing mm-hmm. play in vintage in regards to Belcher. Yeah. I've seen some builds from a few people and they've been what would have traditionally been Academy builds. Uh, but now they're academy less builds because they're just playing four of these. Yeah, which is... which I find very strange because yeah. like, the reason to play the blue Belcher list seems like it was academy. Yes, <laughs> like academy was the best card in the deck. I, I kind of felt the same way when I saw the list too. Do you get enough blue off of just like one or two bolt lands to do what you want to blue? <laughs> I mean, you're also still just playing like all the normal vintage like. Yeah, mana, sure. You know, artifact mana, you know, sweet. Yeah, Talarian's just so good, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Talarian is very good if you're playing all the vintage artifact mana. <laughs> I, I think they're just trying to bank on the fact that when you activate Belcher, you're never going right. to mess. Like it's right. you know, we, it's it's never a possibility that you had to go find your Talarian Academy. Right. You know, if you just have it. You know. Yeah. So. Let's let's talk a little bit more about the the blue Belcher list in depth. So it used to be that you would play Expedition Map and Talarian Academy. Right. There were a few versions that played. Um, so this got debuted at champs 2015 i think where they had land grant for tropical island and then tropical island would play living wish to get tolarian academy so mm-hmm. like it the whole focus was still on getting tolarian academy and my feeling on that was that it was a that deck was always a uh turn two deck where like your first turn was to go get tolarian academy your second second turn was to win right which is why i didn't like it because i liked the uh the red green version where you just go for the win on turn one right but i feel like this is the seagate reborn mdfc land kind of plays into that too where it's like you're still playing with the idea of doing a build-up turn where right. like you, you have a setup turn and then you win and right whether that's playing artifact mana or that's playing a preordain or a brainstorm or whatever you fix yourself and then you figure out how to win right i, I think what I, I the one list i saw that i really liked was um ian marsh he played in the uh, nyse and went i guess last weekend from this last time. weekend yeah, yeah last weekend and he went three three with this list but he was playing uh zerda the dawn waker as a companion in the deck which zerda plays... the red and white one yes yeah the, the one that makes infinite mana with like a uh, grim monolith and yeah and of course yeah. he's playing for grim monolith right and whatnot and so it, it plays so well into like everything that the deck has for artifact for permanence right. because it only looks at permanence for mm-hmm. its companion restriction so oh, sure. everything in the deck that, that's a permanent has an activated ability. Right. Uh, and of course, that's all of the mana. Right. So, <laughs> and that's pretty much the whole deck is like 32 ma- artifacts of most of its mana. Yeah. So, well, it's interesting. So I, I know that Matt Hazard, who was on Team Serious, he's been on the show before. Uh, he played a blue Belcher list with Seagate Reborn mm-hmm. also in the NYSE event. And um, his uh, criticism of the event was that they showed all the lists. Like if you if you played against an opponent, you're both of you got to see each, yeah. each other's lists. And, and like, probably it really takes the wind out of the sails yeah, for a yeah, does, yeah. So I, you know, 
looking at it from that angle, potentially those players were handicapped. I mean, that three and three record right. uh, could have been better in a normal event where people aren't mulliganing to counterspells or collector oof or whatever, you know, right. you, yeah. you're not playing to an answer. And it's especially risky with the blue belcher list, which I said takes a turn to set up. So it's like they potentially get collector oof online turn one rather than you just winning. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's awkward, but yeah. yeah, it seemed like it was interesting. There were at least two lists in that event that I saw that mm-hmm. somebody was, people were playing in Blue Belcher, but Ian Marshes was the only one I saw that was trying for the companion Doing angle. something different, yeah. Yeah, and I like that a lot, actually. I mean, yeah. Even with, Zerta is one of those companions that even because of the kind of decks it promotes play-wise, mm-hmm. uh, it's one of those cards where the companion tax really doesn't matter. Right. Because you're going to be able to make three mana to put it in your hand. Right. And then from there, making another three mana to cast it is nothing. Was he playing it as a companion or yeah. was he playing yeah. playing it main deck or both? He was playing it as a companion. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because yeah. that, that's actually one of those cards that I, <laughs> when I have more time, I would love to play a deck that has four of them main deck. Because I think actually <laughs> that's, that's a potential. That is, um, that would be, that would be a super interesting. Or, or, or three main deck in one of the sideboard i'm not sure exactly what my my plan would be but i but i think it's it's only three to cast and i I think it's potentially playable it's just i'm going to put this in play and then make mana so yes yeah um, i mean it's cool because well and he was also playing karn yeah uh, i saw that restricted karn so like that also makes you know zerda a lot better because you can then make a bunch of mana and then karn Right, and then go get like lattice or mm-hmm. yeah, you, you know, can lock part, part of your time vault, you know, key, yeah. you know, combo. Well, potentially you can play. I mean, I don't know if he was doing this, but I, I assume he had four grim monoliths main and maybe a couple of basalt monoliths. Or did he? Yeah, I didn't see any basalt monoliths. Okay, because like you could no. play one one of those on the side or something right. like that. Just to yeah, go get and also have infinite mana. Yeah, I think a lot of his sideboard stuff was. Like the stuff that doesn't have activated abilities. Sure. The things that like, you know, Sorcerer's Spyglass, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. And like Micah and Lattice for the win. And But it, it looks like a neat list. Like yeah. I, was, I was pretty pleased, like playing all the normal, you know, blue sweet spells, you know, Tinker and, right. you know, for like, obviously, you know, Bolasa Citadel has an activated ability. Who knew? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, and so that's able to be included. So that's also, you know, kind of a dumb <laughs> I, I saw it was interesting because i saw that one of the first players of this deck and i'll have to I'll have to look up who it was maybe you know somebody was playing it in an event i think they were well obviously they were playing it in vintage because they were playing tinker and they didn't realize that you could also tinker for belcher mm. so they were only trying like if they saw tinker and they had bolus citadel in hand they thought tinker was a dead card <laughs> which i thought was hilarious <laughs> that, that seems like was... a terrible oversight yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, at at best, like Tinker also can like find things like Time Vault. Yeah, you know, no, there, you... there's plenty of abilities. Oh, there's yeah. plenty of things that can Tinker. Oh yeah, can do. And it was just like, funny that you. It's like, oh, Tinker I, I only think, goes. And gets I think people really, really tunnel vision on the fact that Bolasus Citadel is like one of the best Tinker targets. It's it's very very good. Yeah, so I mean, it's basically the default Tinker target now. Yeah, right. Yeah, oh, sure. You know, sure. so I mean, you're gonna get that over like Blightsteel Colossus, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> you know, Bolasus Citadel has the chance to just win you the game on the spot yeah you know so yeah i i get it like i can see somebody doing that just because they're not thinking about the contents of their deck and right yeah that's interesting so i've been i mean 
my uh, bread and butter for Belcher has always been the red green versions. Uh, I, I think, I think I've, I've looked into this, but um, I think that I built the first red green version on the mana drain way back when, mm. like I said, the empty, the Warrens, right of flame and Simeon spirit guide really made the mana very consistent because like everything could be run off of tinder wall. Right. <laughs> and that consistency coupled with the speed was just like, that was eventually how you won. Like you would always hit four mana. So many of the cards in that deck, their only purpose is just plus one mana. I mean, right of flame. Most of the time is plus one mana, tinder wall, plus one mana, spirit guides, plus one mana. So like, replacing anything that can be countered with lands is just powerful. Like you have a permanent mana source, it's uncounterable. You're still getting the same effect, but like you don't need to, you know, ramp into desperate ritual or anything weird like that. Like you, you just put the mana into play. Right. Um, and, and obviously the risk then becomes, you know, what if I get a couple of these in my hand? Well, you have Chrome box to figure the other one out. And, you know, I think at first I was thinking, I don't know that these are better than what I'm doing, but they're actually just equivalent and they do have a lot of benefits. Um, right. So I, um, is the life loss ever like, I mean, I, you're trying to win fast. Yeah. The, the reason so the yeah. life loss is definitely relevant. Is it like a concern? I don't think so. I can't personally. imagine it being a concern. Like I'm not, most games you're not losing to damage that you're not, losing some other way anyway right. like yeah. the, the ways you're losing is like hey they countered my spell and now i have no business like, right um but that that was the nice thing about agadim's awakening in the uh oops all spells yeah. uh, list is that potentially if you ever made it that far in the game and yeah, if you're you could to, recover you could actually cast the front half of that yeah so that's yeah. the uh the black bolt land the front half of that agadim's awakening is x and three black mana return from your graveyard to the battlefield any number of target creature cards that each have a converted uh, different converted mana cost x or less so if yeah. you get to six mana or seven mana you can get back your under city informer and balustrades by yeah so that's that's kind of neat like maybe you know. well cabal ritual could do it like, uh, right yeah, yeah i mean it's it's possible but yeah I, it's certainly not your primary yeah. plan. i honestly doubt you're ever gonna cast like the front half of these but the potential is there for that one at least Right. I don't think you're ever going to cast turn timber symbiosis because it's, you know, four and triple green. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's really there for sideboard cards, honestly. Yeah. Like that's really and, you know, wild cantor, but Yeah. Yeah. I've had that come up enough though where like your hands just awkward enough where you're like I have like no black mana and this is like I'm looking at these turn timber symbiosis and I'm like, "Eh, no, I can't beat this." <laughs> This yeah. is bad. Like uh, I did make the the uh, bad move of realizing that there's only one dread return in the deck, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you want, if it's in your hand, you just can't get it out of your hand. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to remember if I played two. I may have played two because yeah. It, you, otherwise, you really well. You can um, cabal therapy it out of your hand. Yeah, uh, unless you exile it to your Chrome Box because you're an idiot. Well, right. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you have to have you have to have it in the deck. That's for yes. sure. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that that happened in a in a practice match, and I was like, "Oh, cool! I'm glad I did this here, where it didn't matter." Yeah, like where it, why I wasn't playing like a league or something like that, because trying to get back into like the swing of playing a deck like this, right? Uh, you know, after yeah, that's true. I mean, I've been playing like various like things, like various points of like between combo and fair, and I I switch up a lot uh, mm-hmm. with legacy 
So it's like one of those things where like, you know, a few weeks ago I was playing ninjas yeah. and then I started playing the Karn Echo of Eons deck, which is kind of like a combo deck because mm. uh, it's just a pile of fast mana and it wants to just either cast a quick Karn or Urza or one of those cards like Psy, Master Thopterist. Okay. Uh, and just cast a bunch of artifacts and then Echo of Eons and then do it again. Right. Or it wants to go like, hey, I'm going to get a Narset into play and then I'm going to Echo of Eons you. Nice. You know, so <laughs> it's just one of those decks. So it's kind of like a combo deck, but it's also kind of like a prison deck. Sure. Uh, sure. So, because it plays, you know, Chalice and Void and all that stuff. Yeah. So, so I was playing that and then I was like, oh, I can rent Oops at the same time. So just rent out Oops and yeah. start playing around with that. And, so yeah, and then it. I'm sure like I'll I said, be they're always they're always fun and exciting. Like <laughs> I'm sure I'll be off it. of it in a week again, a week or so though, just because I like to switch around a lot. So. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, it's one of those things that these decks are always. I mean, they are they are still glass cannons. Like even if yeah. you have all the protection in them, and once people start really preparing for them and really trying to beat them, they're surprisingly not hard to beat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think. Um, I think it was like JPA was talking about maybe running like fairy macabre. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I was just like, yeah, that, that would do it. Like yeah. <laughs> that's a card that's hard to respond to. Yeah. 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 He was talking about, uh, yeah. Fairy macabre, like running a playset of in sneak and show sideboard mm-hmm. just because he's seen an uptick in oops, all spells and leagues. Yeah. And it's just like, Yeah. I I could see it. <laughs> so it's like, oh, cool. Uh, so people are, yeah, once people start figuring out the deck and adjusting to it. Right. Uh, the same thing yeah, happened with Fairy Macabre is one of those cards that you can play in any deck too. Right. Like you don't even have to, it's free, uh, free from hand ability. So you don't need right. to worry about it. Again, like it's the same thing as like what happened with Garuda. Uh, mm. Garuda like came out of the gate and was like really super strong and everybody was really, really upset about it. And then people just figured out that all you have to do is like play like Pyroblast yeah. or Caracas and yeah. just like Pyroblast the, uh, the Garuda when it was in play in response to the trigger. Nice. And then you would hit a clone or something like that off your first mill and then you would do nothing. Right. Because it would just ATB and die. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, the, I mean, you still had that chance. Like there yeah. was still like that tension of that chance of, oh, I just hit another one. Like, cool. Yeah, uh, but you know there was always those games where you're like, oh, they played turn one. They knew what I was on because I revealed Garuda as my companion, <laughs> and then they just played turn one Caracas and um, get me. In a lot of cases, these uh, the benefits of these decks are just when people don't expect them, or just when you're hot, you're hot. Like, yeah, there's, there's just so many times where it's like this deck exists and you need to prepare for it, but. Right. If you don't see it often enough and you don't prepare for it, it will get you. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that's the nice thing about like players like, uh, like again, my buddy Jax, they've been an oops player for a very long time now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they've just, they have a lot of experience with the deck too. Yeah. Uh, and that really helps. And they just know when to go for it and when not to. Yeah. Uh, and that also really helps because that, that's the other thing. Like yeah, when you start picking up decks like these, you have to really train your brain to yeah. not always play so conservatively. Oh, you have to, you have to train your brain to play very aggressively. Yeah. Like it, yeah. And it's hard if you're, if yeah. you're used to playing control decks or if you're simply not used to like, uh, well, I see this line and I have to take it because it's my right. best chance. Right. Like you have to yeah. go for it. <laughs> if I take this line, I win. If they have something yeah. I lose, like, yeah. and it's just like, you have to be okay with the, the, the 
variance the chance of, that you will lose a chance that you will lose yeah you know you have to be okay with those games. you're like oh uh, they had force of will or force of negation i guess i die that's really kind of liberating though and it's really like uh especially if someone is like generally a control player like it's a fun exercise to sort of just get out of that headspace for yeah, a while absolutely this is a good segue because uh i, I did want to bring up that jeff uh top aided a SCG <laughs> with belcher with 15 lands in his sideboard and yeah. like so so really lands have a place in belcher obviously <laughs> i was gonna bring it up when you said when you're hot you're hot because yeah. i was essentially playing that deck because I didn't know legacy yep. and um, I just, everything went right that day, yeah. except against Kurt, except against Kurt. Kurt is very Things good. did not go against Kurt when I played him both times that day. Yeah. That sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm assuming you're talking about Curtis Frazier. Uh, no, no, Kurt Crane. Crane. Oh, Kurt Crane. Oh, okay. Sorry. <clears throat> I was talking about Curtis Frazier because he's a welder well-known. No, I uh, played uh, Kurt Crane I think I played him round one and then I played him in the top eight match and lost to him both times. Yeah. Yeah. Though that was the other, that's the other interesting thing about these decks too, is that these decks are also like really incredibly cheap. Yeah. Uh, So I was looking at the list, uh, the list I've been playing on MTG goldfish. It says, you know, the average price of this deck uh, for oops is about $600 legacy yeah oops is pretty cheap i think because uh, like belcher would be more expensive because like lion's eye diamonds and stuff yes but, yeah you, you have to play lions but, but yeah oops diamonds, but, but oops yeah, is, is probably cheaper than cheap. that yeah it's like the most expensive thing is like your packed of negations mm-hmm. and your chrome moxes yeah chrome moxes are like close to like 200 dollars for a playset. set packed yeah. negations like 100 dollars for a play set so and of course if you're brave you don't need pact of negation so yeah yeah if you're brave <laughs> yeah so i've i've won some games where i've had double packed back up just yeah. in case and, and and pact has a few things that you could replace it with too if you were yeah yeah chancellor of the annex you could run main rather than pact yeah, or whatever. yeah you like could, you, you could replace it yeah if you really didn't want to have you yeah. know but chrome mox is unfortunately unreplaceable and you can't. chrome mox is probably uh, unreplaceable yeah. no and of course these new lands are also because of un- until supply fixes itself yeah in some places because of you know supply issues due to covid and COVID. everything yeah. Yeah. uh you know these agadim's awakenings you know four of them are 48 dollars yeah and for the other one is 55 dollars. so that's close to 100 yeah. right there for just the f- eight lands you need yep so but it's still cheaper than like <laughs> and and it's also just a great way to like get into the format and if you don't know anything about, like jeff said you, if you get in the format you don't know anything about the format right yeah yeah if you don't know anything right. about the format all you have to do is worry about playing your deck right. you don't need to worry about what your <laughs> opponent is trying to do and i i like that a lot like it's yeah. it's kind of fun for that to like have a deck where you can just pick it up and be like all right i'm just gonna play my deck yeah you now and hope i win <laughs> yeah well in, in a lot of ways that's why i played belcher for so long in vintage was because like i didn't have a regular testing group or anything and it was easy enough for me to just play that and right not really have to worry about it like all i had to do at home was goldfish a bunch and like you know figure out all of the lines that i could and you know try and figure out what kind of sideboard strategy i wanted right pretty pretty okay and then just believe in the heart of the cards basically and your mulligans yeah right yeah but i actually i was i was thinking too so the benefit of these lands so there is a slightly more aggressive less consistent version of belcher in vintage that i used to play which adds black so you get dark ritual and let's see i'm trying to remember if i also played cabal ritual i'll see if i can find a list and maybe update it but uh this would be another 
deck where uh, potentially running Agadim's Awakening, uh, right. the, the flip land there, just to have that additional free turn one black source to get right. Dark Ritual. Because I know some people were talking about Spanish Inquisition mm, uh, in sure, Legacy, sure. which is like the black Belcher mm-hmm. version. Yeah. yeah. So I know some people were talking about that as well with the Agadim's Awakening. Yeah. Whatnot. Yeah, I think I think that makes a big difference. I, I was kind of dismissive of these cards when they first came out because like I said, like I don't know that I want to be messing around with especially it always makes me nervous when I'm putting in cards that don't do anything. Right. <laughs> so like yeah. looking at the front looking at the front side of these cards, I'm like, well, I'm never gonna play this. Like what am I doing with this card in my deck? But like right. but being able to play a land as uh, uncounterable for you turn one mana is is right. pretty much all you want to do anyway so yeah i think these things have a real large impact yeah. even just in general across all of magic uh I've, I've seen a ton of discussion about these cards right uh, well because they they allow a whole bunch of different things and in yeah. just in the sense that you can cut lands that are only lands for things that for lands that do other stuff and that goes, right. you know, looking at a uh, Solundi vision, which is a, comes into play tapped Island on the other side, but on the front side is a three mana instant look at the top six cards of your library and put an instant or sorcery card into your hand. Right. That sounds playable. Like yeah. you know, what was the, uh, the card from one of the Innistrad sets that people were playing in vintage where it was like, that only looked at the top five cards. Right. Yeah. Well, and like people were also talking about Seagate restoration, uh, for uh, decks like Omnitel in yeah. Legacy, simply because, uh, yeah, it costs seven mana, but it doesn't cost anything when you have Omniscience yeah. in play. Right. And, you know, you're drawing cards equal to the number of cards in your hand, plus right. one, and then you get no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. Just drawing, like, if, if your hand size is five or six, just drawing five or six cards for free yeah, is just absolutely busted. It's kind of like a mini, like, Enter the Infinite. Mm-hmm. is what people were kind of referring it to. So I kind of expect it to show up there in some cases. The only downside of that card is that it's a sorcery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that deck's typical wish package is Cunning Wish. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it can't be fetched with Cunning Wish. And so that's awkward. Right. But, but there's, I mean, there's some other okay looking effects on these cards. So you have Counterspell or the uh, Force Spike rather on one. Right. There's a duress for high cost cards on another there's a few creatures which i mean it's nice to have creatures that you can play as lands i mean right. I, I don't think any of these are going to be you know vintage or legacy playable necessarily right. but like certainly in in other formats where you, you can play this and have an extra six or eight or 12 lands in your deck and right. some other stuff you know like all of that seems like a benefit just you you, you never get mana screwed <laughs> yeah and this is even enabled you know there's a red green belcher list Mm -hmm. oh yeah that's just playing a bunch of these right you know and it's just they're just playing them as lands uh, yeah you know or you you know playing the ones that they can cast you know that are certain effects like valakut awakening is pretty good Mm -hmm. uh you know in that deck and they're also you know casting cards like recross the paths yeah which is wild I, i have not seen that card see play yeah like in a long time ever that, that uh, um, I, I like that uh, that modern Belcher list. I mean, yeah. probably because it's Belcher, but like that recross the paths win condition there. Um, yeah. It got played in Legacy for a little bit and was kind of weird and awkward. And I was like, why would you do this when you could just cast a Belcher? And right, right. But so, so for the, the people the cool that don't thing, know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a sorcery for two and a green. 
and you reveal the top card cards on the top of your library so you reveal a land card and then you right. put that card on the bottom and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order so you get to basically just stack your deck right uh and then i think they say you stack it with reforge the soul on top yeah. and then you just miracle reforge the soul right so uh, you, you top deck reforge the soul which is wheel of fortune yes and and you have seven cards that are perfect and yes. um and, <laughs> you, and and you win and a lot of times you can win uncounterably with um veil of summer or you know whatever right yeah um, you can you can put enough there that your opponent really has to be able to stop you but right. obviously you've gotten to that point anyway so yeah so yeah it's neat i i think that's that's pretty cool yeah i saw that with the one saw a list with one reforge the soul and it was like ah that's very clever <laughs> yeah. uh, i think it's neat that it's enabling that yeah in other formats too uh and yeah belcher and modern struggled for a while where it was like you almost have a functioning deck but you're doing a lot of stuff where you're just pulling forests out of the list <laughs> like right you can get there it's almost fast enough but by the time you get to the point where you can cast and activate belcher your opponent has built up a defense yeah or you're dead because yeah right modern is you know right like you know ah cool you know you have a belcher you know my opponent had to turn three karn yeah you know, so i mean it was, that was definitely one of those decks that it was like i'm tempted to try and put this together but i just know it's not going to satisfy right. me now it looks good right like, yeah now it looks like fun yeah that's that's the the great great thing about it is yeah. now it looks good and i think that's going to be interesting for that format so right. it's gonna be interesting for every format like i said it's it's interesting enough um i was listening to leaving the legacy recently because they had uh gavin verhey on oh, there yeah. they have him on every year and he was talking about these cards a little mm-hmm. bit too and he said you know the thing that he really liked about them was that it just seems like they've stoked enough discussion across all of every format Mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. limited all the way down to like you know vintage just right. because they're interesting enough to cause people to talk about the math and stuff behind them and right what do i do do i cut you know when there's people that are asking how many how many of these do i play in my limited deck and how many lands do i cut to play them right that math is now suddenly very interesting well and it's it's kind of good too that these are playable and interesting without being so broken exactly. i mean like, like they're not they're not going to turn anything on its head but right. they're bringing some decks back into the fray and they're interesting and people are excited because hey combo is neat and these lands are neat and you know like, yeah it's it's, uh, it's, it's they're not in a good like, place it's not like companions where right that mechanic <laughs> functionally broke every format right they're a little bit more uh supplemental to existing right. archetypes rather than well, in the case of modern, you know, supplemental to the Belcher archetype, but really creating that archetype because mm-hmm. of making it actually playable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that goes from what, tier three, four to tier uh, one and a half. I don't know. Two. two <laughs> it's, I, I don't feel like it's Mo- modern is going really to crush anything. a bunch of tier two decks, honestly. Right. Yeah, and, sure. Yeah. And I mean, they're all fairly playable. So yeah. uh, that's the nice, that's is the only basically nice thing about that format that I enjoy is that there's a bunch of different decks that you can play yeah but yeah so it's interesting yeah i i, I like i like these cards a lot i've I, I keep staring at them i'm like this is neat yeah i especially like that they made promo versions of sure. like the mythic ones i think well they made mm-hmm. yeah i don't know if they made promo versions of like i i think maybe they made some promo versions of some of the uh, rare ones yeah it looks like they made some full border ones of some of the rare ones 
Yeah. Like the, the shapeshifter has a, has a, yeah, they, sh- they should at least have extended art. And I, yeah. I know that the mythics have the extended uh, art as well. Yeah. yeah. Full art versions. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's cool. I, I'm a big yeah. fan of the different art treatment stuff. Oh yeah. Huge fan of that stuff. <laughs> so, and it's just cause but, I, I think it's neat that people can play with whatever they want. So yeah. Well, and my, my biggest thing about them is that finally I can get premium versions of cards that I like that aren't foil. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they do come in non-foil. Yeah. Yep. I do like that a lot too. But yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see where these go. And I, I, I'm kind of waiting cause I, I feel like there's something, something out there that we haven't uncovered yet. Like there's gotta be a card that interacts with these mm. um, on this kind of uh, combo level that, just hasn't been identified yet. I'm not sure what it is, but yeah, <laughs> I feel like there's potential for, for more five years worth of magic to pour through. And right. You know, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of hard to find. Uh, so I'm searching for lands, but not for lands. And I'm searching right. for spells that are also, land. yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to, hard to put together. Talking about that. Like this is basically a land that you can like mystic sanctuary for. Right. Which is kind of neat. Uh, yep. so i was that was like yeah they, they, they have some cool interactions in in that way where it's like you can mystical tutor for a land now if you right need. yeah yeah that's true too yeah you can mystical right. tutor for it you could it now actually gets a mana sword huh oh that's neat yeah <laughs> yeah so that, that's kind of cool but uh yeah I, I like the mystic sanctuary route too i think yeah. that's pretty neat as well so but uh yeah i i don't think these things are yeah there's gotta be there's probably something there uh, but I don't Maybe. know what it is. So. I, don't, I don't know if it exists. I'm just yeah. speculating. I haven't looked, right. at any, looked through any. Uh, and I mean, uh, at least the set right. has a couple other cards that are great. Like it's vintage, like right. playable. So that's. Cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, it's a, it's a good set that seems like it's got some cool stuff and nothing is going to be too upsetting. <laughs> at least not for like older formats. Right. Standard in the other hand is like, is apparently a garbage fire, but <laughs> oh, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I keep hearing. At least yeah. uh, they're going to ban something on Monday. So that's fun uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Standard. You can still play it in vintage unleashed if you want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we can turn away from combo decks now and look at, as usual, food and drink. Yeah. Um, so you had, you, <laughs> Joe, uh, wanted to, um, you, you have a, a new restaurant in your area that you were yeah. excited? Yeah. Uh, we've eaten at this place a couple times now and it's been interesting. So it's where I live there down here in Dayton. There used to be. Uh, okay. You're, you're in Dayton. I, I couldn't remember that you're yeah. Dayton or Cincinnati. Yeah. So where I, where I live, around where I live. Uh, there used to be a, a cold beer and cheeseburgers in the, one of the shopping centers. That's is that the name of the restaurant? restaurant? Yeah, that was the name of the restaurant. No, not the uh, name of this restaurant that I'm talking about. Yeah, right. Yeah, sorry. The yeah, other, yeah. Yeah. That's still a stellar name. Yeah, there used to be a cold beer and cheeseburgers there. And they went out of business. That Something else went into their spot in this shopping center. And then apparently somewhere along the line, I, I didn't even know they went out of business. But apparently they did because they weren't there anymore. <laughs> Oh. But uh, so this restaurant that the, this restaurant's in this same spot and they just opened like this past month or so uh, and they're called Miracles. And it's like 
spelled like M Y R A C L E S. That is the name of a magic deck waiting to happen, <laughs> right? <laughs> you have mirror and miracles, and you make the miracles deck. Like that's perfect, right? And so what I found out was that they uh, apparently when I, I did some before we actually ate there, I saw something in like the news about them, and I was like, I was like, oh, this miracles restaurant is opening up, uh, and apparently it was started by a couple uh, Applebee's ex Applebee's employees who were furloughed due to COVID. Mm. And so they mm. got together and started this restaurant and it kind of just helped that they were able to get into the space. Cause it's already set up for a restaurant. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. So it seems, but, uh, it seems very bold to open a restaurant now, but right. Yeah. That's what I thought. Them, and, right? uh, one of the things that they're really big that they have, that's really big. And my wife really liked. So my wife loves egg rolls. Uh, she's really big into egg rolls. Uh, and so they have, you know, your typical crab rangoon egg rolls, you know, that sort of thing. But they also have like Philly steak egg rolls. Oh, nice. uh, oh. They have jalapeno popper egg rolls. Uh, they have Southwestern egg rolls. So it's like egg rolls stuffed with like seasoned chicken, cheese, and peppers. Yeah, sure. She's had that, at least those a couple times. They have really good French fries. I haven't tried any of their burgers yet, but I've heard their burgers are excellent. What kind of French fries do they have? Just like <laughs> they're regular cut French fries, but they're seasoned really well. Okay. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Their fries are really tasty. I had their boneless wings. And what I thought was really interesting about their boneless wings is their boneless wings are grilled or at least <laughs> lightly breaded. Like they're not like, you know, big chunk and cheese pieces of fried boneless. Yeah. Wings. Yeah. And so I was like, huh, like this is interesting. And they have like a special barbecue sauce. And, you know, anytime you hear something, you know, somebody say, oh, we've got a special barbecue sauce, your mind immediately jumps to how hot is it? You mm -hmm. know, because, you know, most places that have a special barbecue sauce is, you know, oh, this is going to be super hot. Yeah. Like, and actually, it's more like a kind of like a tangy, sweet taste kind of barbecue sauce. So sure. it wasn't like hot at all. I had chicken and waffles last time in there, and it was literally just like a two piece leg and a thigh that was very lightly breaded, not like super fried. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it was on top of a house made waffle, and it had praline sauce and pecans on it. Nice, and it was just super mm. tasty. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm excited to eat with this place some more. Uh, and their prices are general are basically like what you would expect from like good. an Applebee's type, you know, yeah. restaurant where it's kind of similar prices, like yeah. ten dollars for you know a bowl plate of a, the egg rolls or whatever, and you get like five or six of them. Yeah. So yeah, cool. So yeah, it's neat. I, I'm excited to continue to try and go there because they're close by. Yeah. You know, first of all, and, and it's easy to just order online and go pick mm. it up and take it home. Nice. <laughs> and then we went in and we ate in there and we were like, yeah, they've got some work to do on the inside <laughs> because they probably just bought this place and then just kind of got up and running, is my guess. Mm -hmm. but that's no fault of theirs. Like, you know, there's a lot going on. They got to get off. Yeah. They have to start making money before they put more money into it. Yeah. Right. Put more money into decoration. Like the building itself that the, this part of the, the shopping center or whatnot still has like the painting on the, the very, on the, the part of the building on above the restaurant mm -hmm. where you can see like the beer bottles that right. were for the cold beer and cheeseburgers restaurant. Like that stuff is all still there. Cause it used to be a, like a neon sign. Hmm. there and i don't think the neon's still there i think all that stuff was ripped out but the like the background painting yeah right. of it is still there and so it's like mm, yeah that doesn't look too good but they probably don't have the money because you know they're just getting off the star off ground off yeah the ground, so 
but uh, yeah, exciting stuff. So I don't really have anything else uh, in our area food wise. Uh, I know that we've had some weirdness with COVID and everything. And yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's my thing is like, we've, we have not eaten at a restaurant or gotten carryout in six months. So <laughs> we, so I'm, we I'm a little the, envious that you guys are. We went to Pigeon Forge and uh, we, oh, ate, yeah. we ate out there, but a lot of the places we've eaten at have been pretty good about say either a safety or b just not busy enough where it matters. Yeah. So were you, were you sitting outside a lot or is it? Uh, uh, so like the one place that we we eat at down in Pigeon Forge is. Um, there's a pancake place right on the strip. Uh, it's called mm-hmm. Frizzles Chicken. Uh, okay, and it's it's a very unique restaurant. It's it's super cool. They have animatronic chickens on the wall, and about every fifteen to thirty minutes or so, they all start up and start singing and stuff like that. And well, that's it's, fun. It's super cute, and you know, <laughs> they, when we were there last time, they did like a rendition of Bohemian Rhapsody. And it was just That's it was, like eight minutes long. Yeah, it was. Well, it was like they kind of cut in and out, like of yeah. various sections, like. But it was just super cool, and it's just a neat restaurant. But the way that they have their booths designed is because all their booths are alongside the wall. Oh, okay. At where it it just like because they basically what they did is they put their booths all alongside the wall so that wherever you're sitting, you could just look up and see chickens, the chickens uh-huh. across uh-huh. across the way. And so what they did is they put up the white like white plasterboard in oh, between sure. the booths but the way that they did it doesn't feel like it's intrusive or it doesn't feel like it's like not meant to be there yeah like it kind of just feels like it's part of the restaurant which is yeah. really nice like it makes it yeah. make all the booths feel a little bit cozier yeah right booths are relatively large they're all really large booths yeah uh so oh, cool. it kind of makes your booths feel a little cozier and then you just kind of are like oh i can i don't have to worry about like you know i don't not seeing anybody in front of me or behind me but it also doesn't feel like I'm. I I need to see that. I I it feels it doesn't feel like I should be seeing those in right. the place. Like it feels like it, it. The restaurant was designed that way, and not this stuff was added after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not mm-hmm. plexiglass. Yeah, they, you know, they so. integrated it better. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they they integrated it really well. So, but like a lot of the places like we've eaten at, my wife bought a gift card for uh, the Amber Rose down over here uh, near Dayton Children's. And for it was like a twenty. She bought a fifty dollars gift card for like twenty five dollars. <laughs> it was like one of those half off deals. Yeah, yeah. And we ate there, and between us and my mother and father in law and my daughter and my wife, there was one other table in the entire restaurant. Yeah, wow. So like a lot of these places are just either not busy at all because they're doing mostly carry out business, mm-hmm. which is you know great. They're just carrying out or delivering, mm-hmm. and so when you go in to eat, they're just they're not even that busy. Yeah. So that's nice. So, but yeah, now the places in Pigeon Forge, they're a little bit busier. (laughs) Yeah, sure. But they're also, you know, staggering and doing everything they can to make sure that, you know, people. Yeah, try and do what they can. Yeah. Right. So so I don't know. Yeah. But like we've had some issues, like not like restaurant issues down here, but like we've had some issues with a couple of the restaurants, you know, going out of business and stuff like that because they can't keep up with it. One of our local stalwarts of the Dayton area zombie dogs they ended up having to sell their brick and mortar store mm-hmm. uh and go back to the food truck oh really yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. they they were already somewhat in a pickle of struggling right and then COVID hit and they had to close down 
Yeah. And I think that's really the biggest thing. Right. The restaurants you see that are doing okay are the businesses that are doing, are, were able to kind of, that were already afloat. Yeah. They needed to yeah be, to be in business and right. adjust rather than right. like struggle to get back in business. Yeah. And if you were already struggling, right. then going, having to shut down for, you know, a month or two yeah. just killed you anyways. Yeah. So yeah, it sucks, but you know, it, yeah. restaurant business is obviously pretty high turnover anyways. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's part of it is it's hard to run a successful restaurant. And then yeah. if, if something closes due to COVID, something else will come in to fill its place. Right. So. so, but at least I think the zombie dogs folks are, took everything in stride and they're able to go back to the food truck very easily Yeah, because good. they own, they don't pay for the food truck. They own the food truck. Sure. So like, it doesn't like, you know, it's not like they're paying on the loan for the food truck or anything like that, I yeah. think. So, but yeah, so they were able to get back to get doing that stuff, you know, relatively quickly yeah. and get back out there with the food truck, which is good because I'm, I'm happy to see that they're doing okay. Cause they are really are like one of Dayton's like most popular, like uh stalwarts of yeah. food truck business. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And Jeff, you went to, to Maine and, got seafood we did so maine is actually interesting in the uh the restaurant way right now because they are taking their coronavirus precautions very seriously and if you are going to maine you either need to have a negative coronavirus test on hand from at least within three days of you entering the border or isolate yourself for something like two weeks yeah. Um, while you're there so that means basically like no grocery shopping or anything so how do how do they track that so it's basically the cops just kind of buzz grocery stores and then start <laughs> questioning and we'll add the like interrogate you yes um wow. we heard uh my brother was up there for several weeks and he has friends in the area he told me about a pair of his friends from New York that told the cops that they had been there for more than two weeks already and everything was fine. And the cops pulled their easy pass records in order to find out that that was not the case Whoa. and slapped him with a $1,000 fine. Holy cow. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Dang. So uh, they're not messing around. So we were pretty careful and we were only eating takeout, only getting grocery carry out, pretty much staying off the radar, which Did is... You- you, so you didn't get the COVID test beforehand. You you isolated. We didn't even know about that before okay. we got there. So um, no, we did not get the COVID test, huh. and uh, we didn't have a problem. But like I said, we were laying pretty low. Yeah, right. What we did find was a bunch of like shellfish on the beach. That was kind of an adventure. So um, <laughs> <laughs> this sounds sketchier and sketchier every time you mention it. By the way, <laughs> is it really? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's a beach. You know where yeah, I, you know where shellfish live I'm on the beach. Well, yeah. I know. I, I realize. Like... Water. We went looking for mussels on the beach. Um, we actually, I, I guess we we started out digging for clams, and clams are complicated. So wait, so you uh, your family has a cottage uh, on Maine on the water. Like you, I, you've I done. Realized, so you've, I am you've... not allowed. I have been forbidden by my mother to reveal this location because I'm going to mention the oysters. And she's like, don't tell anybody that there's oysters there. They're going to come and take them. All. That's, okay. <laughs> That's fine. I just, I, I'm just saying like, you've done, you've done this sort of um, foraging before, like you've done. for. Oh yeah. And, and it's interesting how it's kind of, uh, okay. so the cottage is basically in my family because my 
mom's dad bought it in the 50s. He had an opportunity and he was like, we will never have an opportunity to own a property like this ever again. So we're going to buy this. So I've pretty much spent almost all my summer vacations there when I was a kid up there because it was a very affordable family vacation where you could bring three kids and just tell them to go away and (laughs) they would uh, occupy themselves on the beach for 12 hours a day. Yeah. Very handy. Um, It's a nice place. I've been there too. Like, yeah. Um, Over the course of the years, we've had sort of uh, changes in the just shellfish that are available. So, um, or even other wildlife. Like we've had mackerel years where we'll go out fishing for mackerel and you just can't reel them in fast enough. <laughs> the last couple of years, we've only caught a few. It's been very difficult. When I was very young, we had um, really sort of heavy muscle years where the muscles were just so thick on all the rocks on the beach, but now you really sort of have to look for them. Similar with clams where they were easy to find. We turned over a lot of rocks and dug in a lot of holes this year and we did not find any clams but the mussels you just sort of turn over seaweed and you can find them so Hmm. um we picked up a bunch of mussels and then surprisingly when we were out wading in the water we were able to find some oysters which is something that we've not ever found before Hmm. this was however very intimidating because I'm not a big muscle guy, but I've never had to deal with oysters because we've never had them there. And we didn't really know what to do with them. So we packed them. So this is interesting. If you ever need to move shellfish, <laughs> specifically oysters, oysters, uh, oysters and mussels can be out of the water just fine. They can breathe both underwater and in air. It doesn't sure. bother them. They do need to be kept moist, so you sort of like keep them in seaweed, which will keep them moist. And for oysters, they have a flat shell and sort of a concave, well, it's concave to them, it's convex to us, sure. side of their shell. And they will sort of, when they are not in water for a while, they'll emit some kind of a white fluid that sort of gathers in their shell and keeps them hydrated. And so when you are storing them, you want to store them flat side up so that it basically pools in their shell and keeps them good. Interesting. Hmm. So we packed all those in seaweed and we packed some lobsters to bring back to Ohio when we figured we would figure out what to do with them there. And when we got back to Toledo, we ate the lobsters. Lobsters are easy. Lobsters are great. I've made lobsters myself quite a number of times. That's no sweat. Sarah made some mussels and she had had other mussels. Like I said, I've never been a huge mussel fan. She had some that she, I think that her friend got them from Walmart or something. And they were like little itty bitty mussels and like a heavy sauce. So you really couldn't taste the mussel, but these were big mussels. And when you cook big (laughs) mussels, you really can't, you get a lot of mussel flavor and you really need to be into that mussel flavor. If you want to eat those mussels, what is mussel flavor? Um, it tastes like, I don't want to say it just tastes like salty shellfish because that doesn't really give you a very good idea, but it's, it's just kind of a generic fishy taste. Okay. Um, and the texture is a little bit strange. Um, is it, is it like uh, other shellfish where it's just kind of like mucusy or what? Uh, chewy? It, it's chewy. It, that's exactly it. Uh, when you cook them, they're not very mucusy, okay. um, but they're definitely a little bit chewy and very fishy. Okay. I, I, I'm not super familiar with most shellfish. I've had uh, oysters a few times. We had them, actually, I 
would look for them in Seattle. We ate at Taylor Shellfish a couple of times and a couple other places, but those are really what I'm familiar with is farmed, uh, uh, farmed <laughs> sure. raw oysters. Um, yeah. So. And that's the thing is since we, like my experience with most shellfish is just what we could get around the cottage. Yeah. So we didn't know what to do with oysters. Whereas my parents, uh, my mom gave me this recipe that she got from her brother. Her brother lives out in Seattle and his favorite oyster preparation is oyster crisp. I have no idea what it is. I'm still guessing it's like apple crisp. Uh, it's like oysters and canola. I'm going to get that recipe and we're going to put cinnamon. it in the show notes. Time's delicious. Um, so we eventually got to the point where we, we were really kind of stressed out because we had these, these muscles. You were stressed. Imagine the, the oysters. We needed to do them justice. And we were feeling really into, like just, just opening up an oyster is kind of a, an adventure. Cause you need to get an oyster knife. Cause you got to like mm-hmm. crack open the shell and then force it open. Uh, That's it. It's a a violent process. Yeah, it sounds awful. (laughs) Um, So eventually what we did is we were so exasperated, we decided that we were going to take the oysters and the mussels that were remaining and give them to my parents, who definitely would appreciate them and definitely know how to cook them. Hmm. And that turned out to be a great relief. It was a nice thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they love them because they love mussels. They were very excited at the prospect of oysters. And so she made an oyster crisp the night that we gave them to him and they had the muscles the next night and they just raved about them. They were the best. And yeah. So, so you didn't actually get to try the oyster crisp, Like you, you dropped off the oysters. I did not get to try the oyster crisp. I'm, I'm sorry to have to report that at the yeah. end of the story that there's no real like <laughs> resolution here other than just us abandoning our responsibility. It's okay. Cause I remember when you were asking about them, when you asked about them, in the, the, the chat group and everyone was like, just eat them raw. That's the only way I've ever yeah, had everyone them. Everyone was just like, eat them raw. I was like, I'm not ready for that. And, uh, and then know. I, and then I looked it up and it was like, Oh no, don't eat them raw. You could get raw oyster poisoning and die. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> definitely true. Yeah. Um, definitely. Uh, that's you, can say you just abandoned a bunch of children. Yeah. Right. <laughs> my, my dad actually told me, he was like, you know, the last time that we had oysters was when, when they were in Europe somewhere. And he's like, pretty much ruined the rest of my trip. I <laughs> felt terrible, he was sick. Yeah, terrible gastrointestinal distress yeah. for, for days. Yeah. Like I said, I've only had farmed oysters, but they are delicious raw. <laughs> like there's so many good ways to eat them, <laughs> but, but yeah, apparently you don't want to eat. Um, well, you, you're taking a chance if you're eating uh, sure. oysters that you just find because there's a, what a bacteria or a virus. What was I? I don't remember why there's, there's definitely yes. potential bacteria. Um, we've had years when they've, uh, it's been red tide and you couldn't eat any of the shellfish at all. Yeah, like sure. everything is plagued, Yeah, which is a bummer. Yeah. And all this, this talk really does make me miss raw oysters though. I was missing them when you were talking about asking you about I'm, how to eat I'm them. Sorry. You'll, like, you'll just have to move back to, to know, Seattle again. I, I just, they're, they're, they're really good. They're like little boogers of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> have you eaten them elsewhere other than seattle one of the questions i get a lot um yeah. because i will tell people that i generally only eat lobster when i'm in maine they say can you tell the difference uh, oh no i i haven't eaten them other than like f- fresh near the coast um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, generally, like my experience eating a lobster is it was I'm going to the dock and getting it right. from the guy that bought it from the lobster guy that caught it. And I'm probably cooking it that day. And right. in the case of these that we brought home, I was cooking it the next day. It's actually so um, I mentioned Taylor Shellfish earlier. Um, I've been there, I don't know, three or four times in Seattle. And they, they have an extensive farming system. And like if you go, if you go at the right time and get the right server, they will kind of take you on a tour of the oysters because they oh. have different varieties and like the different sure. varieties have different tastes and different textures and stuff. And um, they they actually have some pretty good uh, sort of sampler platter things that you can put together. Oyster flights? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and you can get uh, they have some other interesting stuff like you can eat. Uh, they will make gooey duck sashimi. Do do you oh. know of gooey duck? I know of gooey duck just by reputation. Yeah, just by reputation. They don't um, actually uh, yeah. grow up in Maine where we are. Okay, I think yeah, they're they're elsewhere. I looked yeah. it up. I th- yeah, I think they're farther south in yeah. New England, and obviously they're in Washington State. But um, they definitely look like a giant um, genital, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and but they they cut them very thin. You you can have the have have it as sashimi as like slices of gooey duck, and, or and you it, can just have the whole thing. Yeah, just just try and choke on it. But, <laughs> um, but it, I don't know. It's it's an interesting experience. You eat good stuff. I don't know. Try different stuff. <laughs> oh man, uh, I have no, I have no shellfish in this game. I don't really eat seafood. <laughs> So, so Sarah, my wife, grew up pretty much not eating any seafood fish. And we went to Maine when we were in college. And we went with another friend of mine, um, Jeremy and his girlfriend, Allie. And I made a lobster dinner for us, just as I have been describing. And Sarah was like, I'm not eating those bugs. Yeah. <laughs> And she just refused. And it wasn't until it happens that when she worked at Owens Corning, she got sent to Maine because Owens Corning had a uh, manufacturing facility there that she was deploying uh, a warehouse implementation on. And that was when she decided that she was going to try lobster at some of the restaurants that she went to. And she was like, this is really good. And now... (laughs) She can't get enough of lobster. We <laughs> go up there and she eats lobster every meal. We got and she gets lobster rolls for lunch and dinner, and it's still not enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so are you going to get like a lobster to get converted? Is what I'm saying. <laughs> are you going to get a lobster tank in your house and like just have them fresh <laughs> all the time? I, I would feel bad. I, I honestly, I still feel bad just when we get the lobsters and cook them. Like it, they they do have a certain cute charm about them they they do they just have a certain sea bug majesty that i i empathize little eyes and their little feelers as i said you just get a little leash and take them around the neighborhood and i would i would they're they're really kind of adorable their own way it reminds me of chickens yeah (laughs) probably about as smart Chickens are. Re- My mom raises chickens, and chickens are just freaking ridiculous. Oh yeah, <laughs> we did three years of backyard, and yeah, it's it it's something. Yeah, they're they're very unique animals. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, if only Josh Chapel were here to talk about chickens. <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah. Missing out. He's still floating down that river. Yep. He's so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh I think we can probably wrap it. Sounds good. Thanks for being on the show with us, Joe. We appreciate your insight. Yeah, yeah this was for having me. Yeah. It's been a great time. You can you can read Joe's articles on uh, where where can we read your articles, Joe? Uh, so I'm on MTG Goldfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every now it's every Tuesday and Thursday technically. And you do uh, both legacy and vintage. Yeah, uh, so Tuesday for legacy and Thursday for vintage. Sounds good. So look for look for Joe at MTG Goldfish. Uh, and then also um, I use Twitter a lot, so you can hit sure. me on Twitter at VolrathXP. I'm always posting stuff on Twitter. So, yeah, he shares lots of good fun tech lists. It's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Joe Dyer. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Take a little trip. Today, we'll be talking about degenerate combos that, what are we talking about? They're like little boogers of the sea.